the book of First Kings chapter 19. I told you last week we would be finishing the Sermon on the Mount, and I will be true to my word. And we're going to preach First uh, Kings chapter 19, and starting in verse number 1. If you'd like to stand, if you're able, you can. Uh, if, you, if you're not able to stand, just read along with us. That's fine as well. First Kings chapter 19, verse number 1. If you're there, please say amen. If you're there, just stop flipping wherever you're at and just look up and we'll read together. 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse number 1. The Bible says this. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how that he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of the life of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, For I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. You may be seated. We find here in the book of First Kings uh, a, a very familiar situation. A lot of you uh, know the story and, and kind of understand what's about to happen. But just in case you don't know, I'll, I'll get you up to speed on what's going on. To say the least about this section of of Scripture, about 1 Kings, Israel, God's people, the kingdom, it's in terrible shape. After David had committed his sin with Bathsheba, God had told him something. He said that your house will always basically be cursed, that that the sword will always be on your house. And so basically after David and and, and Solomon took over, then things just sort of started falling apart. And, And God's people, they sort of split. And they went, part of them went south to Judah and part of them went north to Israel. And so they had two separate kingdoms and they had two separate kings. And everything at that time, it was just absolutely amazing. The government was a mess. Uh, God's people, they were essentially in a mess and, and things weren't going well and it seemed like just the wheels had basically fallen off of everything. Does that sound familiar to anybody that there, a lot of things were just messed up? And so we have this man here, his name is Ahab, and, and, and chapter 19 verse 1 mentions this man Ahab. Now Ahab is the king of Israel. He he has been chosen as the king of Israel through his lineage, and he is sitting on the throne of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but but I feel like, this is just my my feeling, that reading the Bible and reading uh, how God's character is and how God is, if a king is over the people of God, you would figure and assume he would be a good man, right? 
You would think that. You would think that if, if God had a king, that he would be a righteous king and a king that, was, that, would, that sat on the, the throne and judged righteously and did all that was right in the sight of the Lord. But that could not be further from the truth about this man Ahab. Ahab had a lot of things that were, that were uh, uh, just horrible attributes. And one of the worst things that Ahab had going for him was his wife. Now, I, I want to say this, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but it, I think it, it needs to be said, is that Ahab was not, was not in control of the kingdom. In fact, Ahab was not even in control over his own household. He, he was ruled by his wife, Jezebel. Now, everybody in here knows the, the, the word Jezebel or the name Jezebel. That's synonymous with a, with a, with a bad woman, right? If, you, if you're wanting to sort of insult a woman, and don't, don't, nobody would do that, I know, but he would say, well, she's a Jezebel. Just look at that Jezebel over there. And so this name Jezebel is synonymous with, with bad women. And this woman, she was a, a wicked woman. She was an evil woman. In fact, she had already killed a man just so that Ahab could have a garden. I mean, this, is, this lady is bad news. And so 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah goes to Mount Carmel. He goes to this mountain and, and he performs, or God performs, one of the greatest miracles that you will ever read about in the Bible. God literally... I mean, not figuratively, God literally sent fire down from heaven and consumed a sacrifice. God not only consumed the, the bull that was on the altar, He consumed the rocks and He lapped up the dust in the water and all that was around. And so Elijah had went to Carmel and, and he, had, he had basically challenged these wicked prophets. And, and I don't have time to go into all the details. So Elijah leaves Mount Carmel. And he's in a, in a victorious state, at least you would think. I don't know about you, but if I had literally seen fire fall from heaven, I believe I would be in a celebratory mood, wouldn't you? I mean, I believe that, that if I had just seen that, I mean, and, and God had came and He had showed His power, and not only had God shown His power, but the power of God was shown because Elijah had asked for God to show His power. If you read 1 Kings 18, verse about 36 and 37, Elijah asked God to do what he did, and, and God did it. And so Elijah leaves Mount Carmel, and he goes down, and, and he's, he's just sort of minding his own business. And not only did God send the fire, but Elijah was also able to put to death 450 prophets of Baal. This was what I would call a great victory for God that day. And then we get to, to, to chapter 19. And Ahab has witnessed all of this. He's witnessed the power of God fall down. And then he goes home. And like any good man, he goes home and he reports what happened to his wife. And he says, Jezebel, you will not believe what happened on Mount Carmel today. You know those 450 prophets that you had and that worship Baal? And she probably said, yeah, I know those. He says, well, they're all dead. That would take you back, wouldn't it? You say, well, what happened to them? Well, Elijah, he, he, he actually killed them all. And so Jezebel, this sets her off. She's a wicked woman. And she sends a messenger to Elijah. I said, Elijah, I'm going to kill you too. 
You killed my prophets, I'm just going to reciprocate that back to you, and I'm going to hunt you down, and I am going to kill you. And of course, Elijah, being the great man of God that he was, ran for his life. He didn't send a message back and said, hey, you know what? If, if God can send fire down from heaven, if God can do all these things, then, then there's no way that you can touch the man of God. You figured that's what he would say, right? Is everybody still with me? Is everybody awake this morning? It says that she sent that messenger. And in verse number 3, it says, And when he saw that, when he had heard the news from, from this wicked woman Jezebel, he arose and ran or and went for his life. He's up here on the mountaintop, literally on Mount Carmel, just the greatest victory that he has ever seen. And then the very next minute, it's like he just fell flat on his face down in the valley. Have you ever, has that ever happened to any of you? Any, has God ever done anything great in anybody's life in here? I mean, I, now I've never, I'll be honest with you, I've never called fire down from heaven, okay? And if you have, that's, that's awesome, but I doubt that's ever happened to you. I've never called fire down from heaven. I've, I've never slain 450 prophets. I've, I've never had a, a victory as great as Elijah. But there have been times in my life where I have seen God work. And I knew it was God that was working because there was no way anybody else could do what had just happened. And, and some of you have seen that. Can you say amen to that? Some of you have seen things that couldn't be explained other than God had his hand on it. And it's times like those that we enjoy. I mean, I love to be on the mountaintop, don't you? I love it when things are going well and, and, and victory is happening and, and all things are lining up for the good and glorifying God. That's my favorite time, but just that don't always happen. In fact, that, that is the exception and not the rule most of the time. I mean, a lot of Christians spend very little time on the mountain and they spend more time on the other end of the spectrum. And you think, well, Elijah, this is God's prophet. This is a man that was powerful, and God heard him, and God heard his prayer. And surely, he's got to be a better man than that. James chapter 5, verse 17 says this, that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. That means when Elijah got up in the morning, that he put his pants on one leg at a time, just like you do. And he woke up tired and he woke up groggy and, and he, was, he was just a regular man who God called to do great things. And what happened to Elijah is when he heard this threat, fear overcame him. Sometimes fear overcomes you. And you have absolutely no, no explanation for it. Sometimes you just get scared and you don't know what else to do. So you just take off and you look down and you say, feet, don't fail me now. And you leave the area. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He was scared to death. It said he went for his life. When you, I, now, I, I've never ran for my life. I've never had anything behind me or anything that I've ever had to just literally run for my life. But you can think in your mind what Elijah was doing. I mean, he was running as fast as he could. And it said that when he got to Beersheba, it said, which belongeth to Judah. So he's left Israel. He's in Judah now, the other kingdom. And he left his servant there. Now, that's important. You know, the, the guy had a servant, Elijah. He had a guy that went around with him and, and just sort of helped him out and did what he asked him to do. And it says he left his servant there. Now, why is that important? I believe that says something very strong. That if Elijah left his servant somewhere that he didn't intend on ministering on God's behalf anymore. 
Elijah by leaving his servant. Now maybe I'm reading into it a little too much, but, but he leaves his servant indicating that he's, gonna, he's saying, well, I'm not going to do anything else, so I might as well just get out of the ministry. I might as well just, just, uh, you know, just move on with my life. There's no use in, in me waiting this guy down anymore because he, maybe he can go do something great for God. But, but as for you, you just stay here. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a juniper tree. So he sits down. He's in a bad place. And it said he requested, and he requested for himself that he might die. Elijah was in bad shape. Elijah, I told somebody this this morning, that Elijah went from, you know, verse number one, from being a homicidal prophet, you know, killing 450 guys with a sword, to being essentially a suicidal prophet. Right? I mean, he's asking God to take his life. He's asking God to kill him. And he lays down and, and he just sits down and he probably just throws his hand up, hands up in the air and he says, that's it. What, what else can I do? I mean, God, I've, I've worked for you, God. I've done all these great things for you and it's not doing any good. Would you please just kill me? Now, I, I'm not going to ask you this to, to say it out loud, but, but everybody has been in at least a, very, a similar situation where you're basically at the end of your rope. That's where Elijah was. He was at the end of his rope. He didn't know where to go. I mean, he was doing all these great things for God. And all of a sudden, his life is in danger. And and this woman has threatened him. He's run off and he's in the wilderness. He's by himself. And by the way, if if, if you're in a bad position, if you're depressed and, and, and just scared, alone is a bad place to be. Right? I mean, because if you're left alone with your thoughts, that's a real bad, real bad situation to be in. Can you say amen to that? And so this man, he was alone with his thoughts. But really he wasn't alone because I would almost guarantee that as Elijah sat here under this tree, that Satan was sitting here just just saying things to him. And telling him how much of a failure he was and and all the things that he had done wrong and, and all these things. And so he finally just said, hey God, why don't you just kill me? You know, the Bible says in the book of Philippians, uh, with, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Y'all know that scripture, right? And it says right here that his, he, he actually requested that he might die. Oh Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He said, you know, I, I thought when, when I came onto the scene and I thought when I started working for you, God, that great things were going to happen. I, I just tell you, I've been preaching now for, I started preaching in 2012, so almost 10 years, I guess. And, and, and I thought when I answered the call to preach that, that just, just, you know, these big things were going to happen and, and revival was going to spring up. And, and don't get me wrong, I wasn't thinking a lot of myself, but I thought, you know, surely to goodness, God can do some things. And a lot of preachers start off like that. They, they think, you know, hey, I'm going to be different than those guys before me. And I'm going to do great things. And a lot of times that doesn't happen and, and you just get discouraged. You don't see people getting saved and you don't see people getting baptized and, and just all these things. And so it's easy and it was easy for Elijah to get discouraged. I understand that. I get that. 
That sometimes when things don't go well in the ministry or when things don't go well in life and you, you think you're, you're going to do better than somebody else and, and it doesn't go that way, you get discouraged and you get depressed. And finally he just laid over. He just laid down and he went to sleep. The best thing that could happen to him. Verse 5, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then the angel, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Now think about this. In these two verses, verses 4 and verse 5, Elijah has basically looked at God, thrown his hands up and said, I'm done. Just kill me. I mean, if you're, if you're asking God to kill you, you're done, right? You th- at least you think in your mind that you're done. And he had asked that. And God could have very well obliged him and said, You know what, Elijah? You're right. You, you, you're done. If you've got that attitude, why don't I just take you out? But that's not how God works. See, we serve a wonderful, merciful God. And when Elijah had, had that coming to him and, and probably should have just, God should have just struck him down there for even asking such a, a ludicrous thing, you know what God did? God takes care of the man. And he sends an angel to touch him and he feeds him and he gives him something to drink and, and it says that there's a cake on the fire. Now, obviously this was an angel food cake, right? I mean, it had to be. And it says there was a cake on the coals and a cruise of water, a bottle of water at his head. And it says, and he did eat and drink and lay down again. And then God came to him, or God sent an angel again the second time and touched him. And said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. There's not a more true statement in the Bible than that right there, that the journey is too great for us. If it's, on, if it's on me to make it through life, if it's on me to, to minister all the time, if, it, if, if it's up to me to do all these great things for God, I can't do it. The journey's too great for me. I've got to depend on God. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. That's where I stopped my reading, but that's not where I'm going to stop this morning. So Elijah goes 40 more days. So it's been at least 41 or 42 days since Elijah has seen this great thing happen on Carmel. Since he saw the fire fall from heaven and consume the sacrifice. I mean, you understand how how great that was, right? I mean, that's just that's an absolute miracle. And he gets to Mount Horeb. Now, just on the surface, that doesn't seem like it's all that significant. Well, he went from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb. What's that got to do with anything? Well, I want you to understand that Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. That this is where God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses. That Horeb seems to be, or Mount Sinai in the Bible, seems to be a place where God speaks to His people. And so Elijah goes there. And it says, and he came... And he found a cave and he lodged there. So he goes in this cave and then he's still alone. And then something happens. I want you to understand that, that God sent an angel, right? You, you remember 40 days ago when he's under the tree? God sends an angel to minister to him. But then something else happens in this verse, verse number 9. It says, but behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
God asked Elijah a question. Now, I'm going to throw this out there and go ahead and tell you that if God is asking questions, He's not looking for an answer. Amen? God has never asked a question and said, I wonder what the answer to that might be. God already knows what the answer is. When God asks a question, what He's doing is He's giving you an opportunity to be honest with Him. He's given you an opportunity to come clean, maybe to just, just lay something out and tell him the situation. And so God asks the question, Elijah, why are you in this cave? Well, that's sort of a rhetorical question because it seems to me that God had, might have sent him here, right? So he's sitting here and, and, and Elijah just begins to pour his heart out. He begins to sort of complain and, and he says this and he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel, they have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars and they have slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah says, God, your people have turned their back on you. He said that, that your people, they're just basically apostate. He said they have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down the altars. They're not making sacrifices to you. And, and they're killing prophets. I mean, and, and I'm the only one left. Elijah tells God these things. You ever feel like that sometimes? I, 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 see, I see George sitting there. I, I love you, George. You know that, right? And, and, I, and George, he agrees with most of the stuff I preach. But George, you ever feel like... Uh, looking at the, the current state of the church, that uh, just the whole church in the United States and maybe even the world that a lot of people have turned their back on God. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like that, people? That, that a lot of people that, that maybe used to serve God and that, that maybe don't attend church anymore, or maybe they've turned their back on God completely. I mean, I, I look around and I think about all the people that, that I've seen file through here, and I wonder where people have went and what they're doing now. Have they turned their back on God? or Are they in an apostate state? I mean, what's going on? And if, if I think about those things and I dwell on those things, I sort of get discouraged sometimes. And Elijah was discouraged because he's looking at God's people. At God's chosen people, not the people that, that just, just anybody, but God's chosen people. And he said, God, they've just absolutely forsaken you. And he said, and, and, and they're trying to kill me. I mean, he's in a bad situation. Here's what God says. Here's God's answer to Elijah. He says in verse 11, and God said, or, and he said, go forth. Go up and stand upon the mount before the Lord. Same thing he told Moses, by the way. And behold, the Lord passed by. Same thing that happened to Moses. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains or, or broke the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. But after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Elijah's standing here and he really, really wants God to speak to him. He, I mean, he's, he's wanting to hear from God. Elijah, he kind of wants some answers. 
if you will. Now I'm not saying Elijah's questioning God. I'm not saying that, that he's asking questions he shouldn't. But in the back of his mind, he's like, why am I doing all these great things and this is what's happening? Why am I working for God? Why am I telling people about how great God is and how powerful he is? And yet I'm the one on the run. I'm the one on the wanted poster. I mean, God, what are you doing in this situation? I, I just don't understand what could be, what good could come out of this. You know, I've been in that situation where I've said, God, I don't understand what's going on, and I don't know why you're doing this thing, but, but could you please shed some light on that? And then I wait. And I begin to look, and I look in the big things, and I, I'm looking, what I'm looking for a lot of times is, as I've said this before, the light to shine down, or the lightning to crack, and, and God to, to reveal this big thing in just this big cataclysmic way that, that I can't deny that it's God. You know, sometimes, I don't, I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but sometimes I think that we expect God to move too much. And that's what Elijah was looking for. Remember, it said that the Lord passed by. So obviously, God has not forsaken Elijah. Just like God has not forsaken any of us. It wasn't that when, God, when Elijah was in the wilderness that, that God had said, well, I'm going to leave him over here by himself. No, God was there with him. When Elijah was in the cave, God was there with him. When Elijah was standing on the same mountain that Moses stood on, God was right there with him. And it said the Lord passed by. And it said this wind comes through. Maybe I imagine perhaps a tornado, you know, sort of something like a tornado comes through. And it says that it was a wind powerful enough to break rocks in pieces. But God wasn't in it. And then an earthquake happened, and, and the earth began to shake. And that's what we're looking for a lot of times is this earth-shaking, earth-shattering situation or earth-shaking event in our life so that God can answer us and we can make sense out of it. And God wasn't in the earthquake. And then the fire. Well, now here's the thing about it. The fire, you notice that's last, right? That's the last thing that comes down. When, when Elijah had his great prayer answered, how did God answer his prayer? Anybody remember that? With what? With fire. Right? So just, just a 40-something days ago, 42 to 45 days ago, Elijah had seen God answer a prayer through great fire that came down and, and took everything up with it. And that's how God answered the prayer at that point. But now God's not in the fire anymore. Well, does that mean that God's changed? No, absolutely not. God just changed His method. I believe at this time in the state that Elijah was in that, that God if he would have answered him in any other of these ways that Elijah might not could have handled it that it might have just killed Elijah if God would have answered him with the rock or with the wind or with the, with the fire but here's how Elijah had to get his answer he said in verse 12 and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice now that, that doesn't well, that don't make a lot of sense to us but, but what it says is after the fire there was a whisper. I don't know what exactly at that particular moment God said, but God said something to him. God spoke to Elijah, and it says, and so, and, and when it was so, when Elijah heard the voice of God, that he wrapped his face up. Now that to me tells tells me that Elijah got humble. It says that he went out and he stood in the entering of the cave. I mean, he didn't even want God to see his face. And there came a voice unto him and said, Again, why are you here? 
Why are you here? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous. The same exact words as as verse number 10. I'm here because your people are apostate. I'm here because they've broken down your altars and slain your prophets and now they're trying to kill me. And God gives Elijah the instructions. He says, go back to where you came from. He said, anoint a new king. And he said, but I want to draw your attention now. We're almost done here to verse number 18. God gives Elijah his marching orders. And Elijah's ministry is almost over at this point. It's not that, that God didn't have any more use for him. It's just that I believe his work was done. And God tells him in verse number 18 something that I believe comforted Elijah. And it would comfort us. Because remember, up to this point, Elijah, in the back of his mind, thinks he's the only one that's doing anything for God, right? Now, don't raise your hand, but, but you felt that way sometimes, right? You feel like, well, I'm the, I'm the only one that, that's really doing anything. I'm the only one that's, that's taking a stand in my workplace. I'm the only one that's doing this, or I'm the only one that's doing that. And, and Satan, he wants to magnify that, and he wants to, to make you think you're alone. But verse number 18, God says this. He says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. I want you to understand that God always, always has people somewhere. They may not just be real obvious. They may not stand out as, as much as they should. But God had 7,000. Now, now, that's a very specific number, right? God didn't just say that I've got some people left. God said, I've got 7,000 of them. And I know every one of them and I know where they're at. I want you to understand this morning that, that if you're being attacked by Satan and, and maybe you're depressed and down and out, that I want you to understand you're not alone this morning. Just, just simply the presence of God would be enough to sustain you. Amen? I mean, God is enough to sustain anybody. If you get marooned on a desert island and you're the only one there until you die, God is still there and He's enough to sustain you. But understand this, that, that in your Christian walk, you're not the only one. There are more that are serving God this morning. Uh, you're not the only one that's serving God. Tanner, when, when you're out there and, and riding around in the ambulance, because that's what you do, you just drive an ambulance, right, brother? You're not the only one doing that. There's more. And we're behind you and we're for you. And, and Cecil, when you go to work in Albert, when you go home, we're for you, everybody. We're for each other. Amen. As a church, we are for each other. Now, in this world, hopefully, maybe in Putnam County, I don't know, I would hope there's more than 7,000, wouldn't you? I really hope so. I mean, we're in the buckle of the Bible belt here, people. And I would hope there's more than 7,000 people. But, but at this time, that's what they had gotten down to from millions of people down to 7,000. But yet they're still serving God. And, and I don't ever want anybody to get in the shape and, and get in the, the situation where they're saying, God, I'm the only one that's serving you. And Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do and I don't know where I'm going to turn. What do I do? You know, it'd be better off if I was just dead. And a lot of times we get mad at, at people for saying things like that in the Bible. We, we sort of look judgmentally and say, well, I can't believe Elijah would say something like that. You just wait till you get in a situation where you've got nowhere else to turn. 
You've got nowhere else to go and nobody to talk to. And, and, and you may get in that very situation yourself. I'm glad that God didn't give Elijah what he asked for. Amen. And I'm glad that many times God doesn't give us what we ask for. Because if he did, it would be messed up even worse than it is. Our lives would. So Elijah, and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of the rest of the story. But later on, Elijah is taken up into heaven. By what? By a whirlwind of fire. By a chariot of fire. God spoke through the fire again, and, and that's a whole other message unto itself. But this story of Elijah, it sort of reminded me of a verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, Be not weary in well-doing. I mean, that's what Elijah was doing. He was doing exactly what God asked him to do. He, was, he had, was up on that mountain because God had sent him there. He was preaching to the people and he told them and he witnessed to them and he told them to turn back to God and he was doing exactly what he was supposed to but yet he got weary. He got tired. He was worn out. We can see that he was worn out because when he laid down under the juniper tree, what did he do? Well, he just went to sleep. I mean, he was exhausted yet God sustained him. Church, be not weary in well-doing this morning. I get it. It, it. It's not always easy. Life is not always easy. Ministry is not always easy. Teaching Sunday school and leading songs and, and witnessing to your coworkers and all these things. That's the, it's not always going to go well. I wish it did. But it's just not. Don't get weary. Don't get depressed. Don't get down and out and say, say God, where are you at? Because God is there. And we're there for you. And if you need someone, please don't ever think you're alone in this. Go to somebody. Go to your brothers. Go to your sisters in Christ. And most importantly, go to God. And He will be the ultimate comfort to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And, and Lord, when we read this story about Elijah, it should, it should put us on high alert that we should never get in this situation. We should never get in this shape. But sometimes we do. And, and God, if there's anybody here this morning that's, that's just downcast and, and don't know where to turn or what to do, God, I pray that you would strengthen them. Lord, that you would be with them and help them. And Lord, if, if Elijah was such a mighty man, and yet he experienced the same things that we do, and Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters this morning. People that are sitting in this sanctuary that are facing situations that I don't know about and that nobody else knows about. And, and, and God, you're the only one that knows. And people that are going to be watching on Facebook that may be watching right now. And, and Lord, you know the situation in their life. Lord, you know what they're facing and what they're dealing with. And how that they, they think that they're alone and, and that they're just, they're just so tired and weary. and Don't know what to do. God, I pray that you would strengthen them right now. Lord, that your omnipresence would, would be with them and that, Lord, you would just put your hand of comfort on them and let them know that they're not alone because you're there. And Lord, that, that we're there with them. And God, let people not be too prideful to admit that sometimes we get tired and we get weary and well-doing. 
Lord, we lift you up. We exalt you this morning because you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's